In this episode of SNC Critical Insights, Jim Bromley and Werner Allers open a two-part series discussing their work guiding Belize through a blue bond restructuring, an innovative deal that's funding ocean conservation. And welcome, everyone. We're happy to be talking today about what was a very exciting transaction that we worked on through most of 2021 for the country of Belize. It is not your typical debt restructuring. It's not your typical sovereign assignment. And let me start off with a, a little bit of background about the restructuring itself. So Belize has, like any country, sovereign debt. There are two types of sovereign debt that Belize has. One is bilateral debt, which it borrows from countries, primarily Taiwan. There's a little bit from Venezuela. And then there was debt that they borrowed in the public markets. This debt that they had borrowed in the public markets had been restructured several times. A lot of sovereign restructurings are repeat offenders, uh, so to speak. When we first got involved in this, it was in 2020. It had to do with the pandemic, and I'll, I'll talk a little bit about that in a moment. But the sovereign debt, the public sovereign debt, was a total of $550 million. It was the so-called super bond, and it represented 30% of Belize's gross domestic product. This transaction is called a blue bond transaction. And this is, in effect, a way of refinancing the sovereign debt of Belize, protecting the environment, and using very unique structures to allow the protection of the environment and the financing coming from the capital markets, as well as some guarantees and protections that come from government sources. Now, in order to do this transaction, Belize needed to commit to designate uh, 30% of its ocean to uh, become a biodiversity protection zone. It created a $23.5 million endowment that is devoted to marine conservation. Importantly, it reduced the uh, sovereign public debt from $550 million to $300 million. So that was a 12% of GDP decrease in terms of the debt. And it was a very complex multidisciplinary project. And we're going to try to go into detail with that as we move forward. Let's talk a little bit about Belize's economy. There are two things that really characterize it. One is agriculture and the second is tourism. The GDP is not very large. It's only about uh, $1.8 billion a year, which is about the same as San Marino, a little country stuck in the middle of Italy, or 120th that of Vermont. So probably if you took Vermont's Ben and Jerry's, cheddar cheese and milk products, you basically have the size of the GDP of Belize. Tourism accounts for 40% of the GDP and 60% of foreign exchange. Because of Belize's unique position, the coral reef and rainforests, it is a very popular ecotourism destination. As I've mentioned, it does have the second largest coral reef in the world, which is a UNESCO World Heritage Site. And agriculture also accounts for about 10% of uh, GDP, and that includes things like mahogany and bananas and pineapples as well. Now, why was there a need for a comprehensive debt restructuring? Well, two main things, the pandemic and climate change. In 2019, the economy slowed due to a severe drought. This had a substantial negative impact on the agriculture part of the economy, as well as the ecotourism. In 2020, it was hit obviously, like the rest of the world, by the consequences of COVID-19. And there is a large swath of countries in this world who are similarly situated to Belize in terms of their, the impact of COVID-19. 
meaning that they were not able to flood their market with public cash. They had no ability to borrow in the public markets outside of Belize. And in order to prevent runaway inflation, they really just couldn't print money. The pandemic had a substantial immediate negative impact on tourism. Tourist arrivals declined by 72%. GDP contracted by 14%. Government revenues declined by 4.5% of GDP. At the same time, expenditures rose. And these were not expenditures intended to stimulate the economy. These were expenditures to protect health and welfare. And the debt to GDP ratio increased to 127%. All right, so I'm going to talk a little bit about the particular challenges that the team faced in undertaking this comprehensive restructuring of Belize's sovereign debt. There are elements here that are not necessarily unique to Belize's sovereign debt restructuring and, and have some commonalities with other sovereign debt restructurings that, that we've worked on and, and others that we haven't. But the interplay between them, I think, created really unique circumstances that required some, as Jim said, you know, not only creativity, but a, but a really broad multidisciplinary team to come together to, to try to put a transaction together that achieved all of the ambitious goals that Belize set out for the process. Part of the goal, of course, which is implied by what i just finished speaking about, is that Belize was facing the prospect of an expiring grace period on its sovereign debt. It had not made an interest payment since before the start of the pandemic, and we had been advising it throughout 2020 and into 2021 to obtain relief from its bondholders to allow it to capitalize interest payments and, and also uh, have a grace period on the last interest payment in, uh, in spring of 2021 to provide some breathing room for it to negotiate terms with its existing bondholders, try to restructure the debt. A tight timeline isn't exactly unique here, and there are sovereigns certainly that have entered default and it's taken years to complete restructurings and you have straggling bondholders and the like that continue to contest the terms of restructurings even after their bond exchanges and the like are, are completed. But, but here, you know, Belize really thought that it had a unique opportunity because of the availability of alternative financing that we'll get into the details of. And it really feared that if it wasn't able to come to terms with the bondholders prior to the expiration of the grace period, not only would there be local political consequences that would start to close the window that provided some room for maneuver for the prime minister, but it would also affect the perception of some of the alternative financing participants that it had in line, including the Nature Conservancy and the U.S. government that was providing political risk insurance we'll get into. I just alluded to the political pressure. There was a change in the administration at the end of 2020, while Belize was dealing with these financial pressures. And the incoming administration had staked out some very ambitious ground to do completely away with what was commonly known as the, quote, super bond, which is this $550 million worth of sovereign bonds that Belize had outstanding. And to really do away with what had become a toxic politically in Belize, the bondholders had, you know, not uncommon for, for sovereigns in financial difficulties had become reviled locally. And the prime minister, as part of his campaign, had really committed a very ambitious path for the country to try to completely do away with the bond. This, of course, was actually quite unique because most sovereign debt restructurings involve not getting rid entirely of the existing bondholders, because in most cases, there is not alternative financing that can take them out, but it, it involves renegotiating terms 
maybe you know, in some combination of cash and restructured bonds in an exchange. And this was one of the features that was most novel about the process is that they were actually looking to take the bonds completely out. In order to do this, they needed to get consents from 75% of the bondholders because that was a threshold required under the indenture, which had a collective action clause, not uncommon and, and, and fairly standard in, in sovereign instruments of this sort to sort of restructure the terms of the debt. And in this case, you know, 75% is what it is. In this case, that threshold, though, was made all the more challenging because there was speculation that Venezuela may continue to hold a 10% of those bonds that it held at one point. To this day, we still don't have confirmation whether they held or hold those bonds. But what it meant was that we needed to design a process because of U.S. sanctions that would avoid being able to transact with Venezuela as a bondholder and basically disable what could be their 10% holdings from participating in the exchange. And that made the, the percentage of bondholders that we could transact with you know, even higher. And that posed some particular challenges. In order to take out the debt, of course, Belize also had to get more favorable terms. And because of the structure in which it was proposing to do this, not really being able to be transparent with the existing bondholders about those terms was a you know, was a key element because the objective of doing away with the existing bondholders meant that they had to avoid as much as possible giving those bondholders leverage in negotiations that would seek to capture as much as possible any potential benefits of better terms for release that it was, that it was looking to obtain through alternative sources of financing. And, you know, the, this next point about convincing relevant parties was really more of a process point, but it was really key to some of the challenges we faced as a deal team in this transaction, which is that you know, on the one hand, we had negotiations going on with bondholders regarding the terms under which they would be willing to be taken out. On the other hand, we had some incipient negotiations with the Nature Conservancy and the US Development Finance Corporation and Credit Suisse, which was arranging the alternative financing. And the new money was not really willing to devote the considerable resources that would be required to actually nail down many of the terms of this complex financing until they knew that there was agreement in principle with the bondholders, whereas the bondholders were not really willing to agree to a price and timeline for the delivery of their consents unless they had assurances that there was money there that, that, that could uh, take them out and unless they knew something about the nature of that financing that was going to be coming in. So the choreography of this pushing simultaneously on both these constituencies to make as much progress as possible, though they were in some respects looking to know that the other was going to be there when the time came was, was really important and it, and it created a lot of additional time pressures on, on, the, on the process generally. And then finally, the part of this transaction probably made it most novel from a sovereign restructuring perspective is the environmental protection element, which was the ability of Belize to unlock a fair amount of value by bringing in new finance parties interested in investing in, in blue bonds. This also allowed the engagement of the credit of the United States government, which had been working closely with TNC to see how it could facilitate its blue bond program. And it also provided an, an added incentive to the existing bondholders to tender and support a, a restructuring that was seen as having broad conservation benefits for Belize and others in the world. Thank you for listening to SNC Critical Insights. For more information about our practice, please visit us on the web at www.solcrom.com.